Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kantori. Hello everybody. I have an young lady with me by name Priscilla Agusto Janigal. Blends her boogie down style, survivorship, strength, and clinical rehabilitation therapist. Background to release a lifelong passion to give others an opportunity to identify with the Me Too community that collides those worlds apart with the shared experience of the discovery to the Who Am I? Augusto Jernigan, first-hand experiences in surviving abuse and discrimination, creating an immersion of authenticity that helps her stand in truth and faith. Ms. Augusto credits her backbone strength to stand as a proud LGBT member, wife, and a caretaker to her late grandmother who raised her to live beyond her Brooklyn roots. Thank you for being on the show. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, please go ahead and explain about your life story and why what happened to you, why you started this journey, and why is that important to you at this moment? So, as you mentioned, um, I was born and raised in a Catholic family, so we were very, very extremely religious. Um, I wasn't raised by my parents; both my parents were drug addicts. Um, my father didn't really know him so much, but what I did know about him that he was in jail um and I was able to visit him so I don't really have a clear understanding not even to this day um of who he is um which I would have loved to know but I don't know really really much um my mother came into my life when I was about nine years old mm -hmm. she got clean and sober um uh, from all substance from all drugs she went to rehab and all that um so from there it was also difficult because I didn't have a relationship with her so I was raised by my grandmother and my older sister and my rabbit. <laughs> uh, so, which I, I always mention him because he was my comfort um, and my confidant. And just because I was like this awkward, odd ball little girl, um, I had like my Medicaid glasses, which were really, really like pink and red. So I, I clearly stand out. Um, versus my sister she had like the really really long hair um the lighter complexion and she was able to fit in um which was great so of course as a little sister um i always wanted to be like her mm. but that really wasn't the case growing up because eventually i grew a resentment um now i can say it was a resentment before i i didn't know what it was i was just like oh we're just sisters and we're fighting and but we are five years apart so that plays a big difference as well um because she was older she didn't want to always be around her little sister which was understandable but at that age I was like play with me yeah <laughs> play with me love me you know and I really didn't understand that she was just doing her own thing so I gravitated a lot um to my grandmother and my rabbit but I stood home um, I was a homebody, one, because I was a child, um, but two, it was, I didn't really know who I was. So my, my book says, who am I? Because I was so confused for many, many years. Um, and as well as growing up, trying to figure out what I like, who I like, um, but also remember that I was raised with, and I always go back to like Adam and Eve, um, a male and a female. So I struggled with my sexual identity for pretty much till I was like 16, 17 years old, um, which also played a huge part in my family. 
because I, the way my grandmother raised me, she told me, hey, it's just, you don't date outside of your race, Mm. Um, (laughs) which is very hard. Um, And you definitely do not date the same sex. So that was applied to me at a very young age. So with all the feelings that I felt at like the age nine and 10, I was really confused because that's when I really started to really experiment (laughs) at a young age (laughs) with girls. Um, And I always say, I kissed the girl before I kissed the boy. And to me in my mind was that was extremely wrong. Um, But I couldn't really deny what I liked. Um, So I had to be able to not really say anything. So I confide a lot in my rabbit because he doesn't speak. (laughs) (laughs) So that was perfect. And I didn't have a best friend. You know, today I'm blessed to say that I have about eight um, because I feel for me a support system is huge and we gravitate to, to humans, period. You know, but we also gravitate to humans going through whatever, for me, I only can speak for me, whatever childhood trauma that we endure, whatever adolescent um, trauma if there was any abuse and stuff. So a lot of my circle and a lot of my friends have had the same history as me. And I am so blessed and so honored to say that they are my friends to this day, you know, from college to now. So I'm very fortunate for that um, because I didn't have that. So I really, for many years, longed that. And now I'm able to say, oh my God, I have that and I can appreciate that. Yeah. And at the same time, so when I was around... 14 years old um my sister was like about I want to say like 18 19 years old um very young she met this man um and he became my my trauma that was where my trauma started at 14 he was very very abusive um he was abusive to my sister Um, There was a lot of domestic violence going on on that end. And that's what I saw. Um, So again, growing up thinking, oh my God, is this right? Is this wrong? What the heck is going on with me? I don't even know why I'm attracted to women or why I even feel the way I feel. Um, But in my household, because I am Puerto Rican, um, in my household, everything is hush hush. So if something happens, you stay quiet about it and you'll figure it out in the long run. So that to me caused so much trauma for about eight or nine years of my life. Even I don't understand when this long term will come back to even talk about it. I know. And, it, and it's hard because for me, writing was an outlet, but it wasn't supposed to be something for me to, in my mind was, oh, maybe you'll do podcasts or maybe you'll be able to even publish because of that stigma you know, um, being able to tell your story and not have so much judgment or, and a lot of guilt and shame that, that comes behind that because at 14, I was developed, um, more than the other little girls, I would say. Um, so for that, for me, I was just like, well, maybe I put myself in a situation, you know, um, because I was developed and I'm extremely, extremely to this day friendly. (laughs) So I can talk to anybody and everybody, but I don't come from a negative place or a negative energy. It's just more of exactly who I am, you know? So I think people really 
when they gravitate to such a person who's like, oh, yes, like, I want to talk and I want to be able to express, they take that as, oh, well, she's flirting. Um, so she must want me. And I'm just like, that's really not the case because I was still young and I was still a, a virgin. So I don't know who I wanted at that time. Um, so about 14, my first experience was I went to one of my cousins. Um, she had like this little, she's a good singer. Um, and I went to go see her and I dressed more really boyish at that time. Again, cause I, I don't think my grandmother knew how to really dress me because of my figure. Okay. Um, so I had like little t-shirts and so this day I wanted to dress up and I wanted to feel beautiful and I wanted to feel pretty. And, um, I wanted to see what it was to be in like a little dress or whatever it was. Um, so that day I went and I had such a great time. Um, and I came back home and my sister's husband was there and he's also Hispanic, but he's more, uh, darker complexion. Um, and he asked me like, how was your day? And I was just like, it was great. I had such a good time. I was able to, you know, pass curfew as long as I was home by nine o'clock. <laughs> but, um, my grandmother and my sister was talking in the room. They were getting there. I think they were talking about like the wedding. Cause he did propose to her and stuff like that. Um, but he was interested in asking me what was going on with, with me. So again, he lives like literally across from me. So it's not even like up the street. It was across the hall for me. Mm. And, um, he said, you look really nice. And I didn't think nothing of it. I honestly didn't. I was just like, thank you. Um, getting ready to go take a shower, you know, go to sleep. And um, I remember this day so vivid and it's so fresh in my mind. Um, he left his wallet and um, he called and I answered and he was like, hey, can you bring the wallet? And again, at 14, I didn't think nothing of it because it's for me, it was a stupid wallet. Let me give you your wallet. Let me go home and go to bed so I went again thinking nothing of it and it was extremely dark and um I am very very extremely naive um I am also grateful for my grandma sheltered me so much so it was to the point that I really didn't even know any better so me going there was really harmless so I said oh my god like what's going on like there's no light, there's no nothing, but okay, fine. All I saw was from the hallway to the room, um, just a little bit of light. And again, I talked about his um, complexion. There was a ladder that was in the middle of the hallway and I literally bumped into the ladder and he was there, which I felt that was extremely weird because <laughs> I was like, okay. So they gave him the wallet and he thought that that was a great opportunity to pin me. Um, and I remember that I was just by the ladder and I felt helpless because at that moment I said, everything here is going to go downhill. And to be mindful that I, I was, a, I was a virgin at that time. So, um, he was groping me and I was just like, this is just not right. But I was, I felt paralyzed. Yeah. Um, I couldn't move, you know, I think of in, in the inside was like screaming for help. And I thought I was probably yelling, but I wasn't. I literally froze. And from that day forward, I just felt like, gosh, is this is how it's supposed to be? 
while this man is groping me literally 30 feet away from my sister um and she's in the other apartment and so he lifted up my skirt and um he touched me and I was just like please like stop like this is this is not right and um I would never forget these words because it will always stay in my head even though I have like dealt with it and talked about it and addressed it it would still always stay fresh in your mind and for me he was like well you know you could lose your virginity just like your sister did um and that to me broke me um because that's not that wasn't the goal I didn't want to lose my virginity to him and um I remember the door opening um from my grandma's house and I said break free Priscilla break free um and I remember tripping and then I remember like bumping into my sister and she looked at me she's like what the heck is going on and I cannot lie for my life but to me there I was just so paralyzed and I was like oh I just had to bring the wallet um and I think your light just like blew and I left and I went and I took a shower and I cried for about two or three hours um and a little bit prior to that, my grandmother was sick and diagnosed with colon cancer. Um, we didn't really know to the extreme, but she was really fatigued. But I just really thought it was like she was getting older. Um, so I didn't think nothing of it. And I just remember being in my pink, in my pink top, because I have a pink top, crying for hours because I was like, how do you even address this? How do you even bring this up? Why would you even bring this up? Um, and I, I deprived myself for a while. And I was like, you know what? Like, maybe it was just all in my mind. Because um, my family always says I'm very dramatic, which they are correct. But to that magnitude, I just remember like, oh, I have to learn how to submit to men. Um, and that was hard for me. Because again, I was still struggling with my own identity. So I remember just going to sleep and just saying, thinking nothing of it. And um, two days later, again, the little naive 14 year old that I am, um, I was on the computer and I heard a knock on the door. My grandmother was away. I don't remember where my sister was at. Um, and we had, so I was raised in New York. So we had like them little peacoats. Mm -hmm. So I looked at the peacoat and I saw him and I immediately became paralyzed again. And um, my grandma was like, if there's, you know, if I'm not home, you don't open the door. And he was like, hey, your grandma's up the street um, with some groceries. I just got to drop these groceries and I'll go. And foolish me, went and opened the door and saw absolutely no groceries. And I tried to close the door. But of course, I'm a little tiny, petite little girl. So he shoved the door open and just threw me on the couch. And um, th my grandma's couch has always had like plastic on it. So you can hear me, hear the struggle um with the plastic and I was just like why are you doing this to me like what am I doing that is so wrong that you think that it is okay and he was just so forceful and was like I just want you to lose your virginity to me that's all I want and I was like you are gonna get married in a couple weeks to my sister um and he said so and I just remember like my body just went like a shrimp. I was just like, if this is the way that it has to be, what else can I do? I, I didn't have a voice. I could have probably tried to fight him and I did, but that wasn't working. And I always believe in a higher power. And I always say that my higher power always is able, 
they he always comes in the right time um so he was groping me and he like took off my shirt and I felt his hands and I felt his his private parts on my body and I was just like this is going to happen this time like I was really convinced like this is I guess this is just what it is and um he pulled his hand down his pants whooped out his stuff and literally was trying and I I fought that day so hard and I was like no like this is not gonna be this is this is I'm gonna go with the fight and um I remember just grabbing some strength and as he's struggling and pulling my panties to the side I, I can feel it but it didn't it didn't necessarily go in but I didn't know I was just like I felt something but who's to say um and again my door went wide open and I was like Whew, and he ran to the bathroom and um it was my grandmother and my grandma's like what is wrong with you and I was just like uh, nothing you know um he just came to just drop some stuff off and she I think she kind of had an idea but again denial goes a long way um and I thought for her I think for her was more of well, if she's not going to talk about it, we're not, we're just not even going to address it. I'm not even going to ask what's going on. Um, cause the hope and prayers for her to say that nothing is going on. So that day I was just like, what do I do? I don't know. Am I still a virgin? Like I, am I not a virgin? What? Because in my family, in my household, we never talked about sex. Sex was not even a, <laughs> it was not a topic, you know? So even though I miraculously found porn to become very interesting, I didn't know. Um, so going back a little bit back to my mom, my mom was in and out of my life at that time. And um, I felt comfort, not really comfort. I just felt like I had to tell someone um, because I felt like I was drowning. And I was starting to, to react negative. Um, I started to gravitate to bad boys is what I call them. Um, and I never, never was like that. You know, I was always not really the good girl, but I was the one that followed every rules, you know? Uh, <laughs> so for me, it was really, really hard. So when my mom asked me just one day, she said, hey, like, what's going on with you? And all I can remember is like this man's grope. And all I can remember was, him telling me like if you say anything I will kill you and kill your family and it I'm like I have to protect my family but at the same time I felt so helpless how do I protect and not say anything and how about clearly how about if he's he does it again and then how about this time I'm I'm not lucky mm. and he did take it all the way then what what happens to my identity what happens to who I am or who I'm trying to be so I told my mom and she kind of looked at me like she was shocked, but not really. And I remember I was going to bed and she said, don't worry, it's okay. And I was like, Whew. I feel, I felt relieved. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the case. <laughs> so about maybe 15 minutes later, um, my sister drags me out the bed and clearly just beats me. Um, because she couldn't believe that I threw myself on this man, on her soon-to-be husband. 
And I remember that day that I cried so much that I was just like, why? How did your sister get to know about it? So my mom decided to tell my grandmother and my sister because she was going to get married with him in like a matter of a week or so. Um, so she came and she dragged me out of my bed and she said, you're an effing freaking liar. And I'm sure you're the one that threw yourself on him if that was the case. And I was just baffled. Um, and my grandmother was my confidant. So I remember just looking up and my grandmother said nothing. Um, and that broke my heart. And I didn't know what to say or what to do and they threw me out of my house and they kicked me out of my house um the house that I grew up in the house the only house that I know and um I'm sorry if I get a little emotional um but um I remember leaving with my mom and taking the train and she was like everything's gonna be okay and I was like you've really messed up my entire life because that's all I know um so I was taken to the Bronx with my mom for a couple of days and she said you know we have to go to the doctors did the man penetrate you and I was like I don't even know what that is like I felt something but I don't know what I have no idea um and she said well I'm gonna have to take you to the doctors so I remember like maybe a day later we went to the hospital and walking to that hospital I was just like floored because I was like what are they gonna tell me What are they not going to tell me? My family just abandoned me in a matter of five minutes. So I remember putting this stupid gown on and just sitting there, spreading my legs open to see if this man penetrated me or not. And I was so humiliated because I was just like, I didn't know. And the person that I gravitated to wasn't even there. So a lot of resentment started to build up for me. Um, And they told me, no, everything is fine. There's nothing to be concerned. You're still a virgin. Fantastic. But even them telling me that was a relief. But at the same time, I was so violated. And I felt so abandoned that I was just like, where do we go from here? Does this continue? Do I even go back home? Do we even address this? And um. I think it was maybe a couple of days later, I went back home and you can tell that the atmosphere was changed. Hmm. Um, nobody talked about it. Nobody asked me how I was doing. It was more of here's your breakfast, here's your lunch, here's your dinner, go to school, do what you have to do. And that's it. And it was dead silent. We used to always eat together and literally nobody talked um, until maybe a week later. I was so excited for some attention um so my sister pulled me to the side and said hey um would you be the maid of honor and I was just like what the maid of honor like you have to be kidding me like this has to be a freaking joke um and silly me just looked at her and said absolutely I would do it um because what we do we protect our we protect our own And um, so I said to myself, maybe it wasn't that serious. Um, Maybe this will blow over. And before then, I was looking at wedding dresses and stuff. And I was just standing there just saying, gosh, no one has asked me how I felt about this. 
or where I'm at with this. And I thought it was a big slap to my face that you asked me to be your maid of honor. Um, but because I am a people pleaser and I used to be a people pleaser, thank God I live differently today, but I used to be a people pleaser. So anything for my family, I was, yay, let's do this. So I felt like I was dying inside, but still, I was still going to school. Um, but I looked at everyone different and I looked at life different. And I used to think, well, this is just what it is, you know? So eventually I, I thought that the behavior was okay. And I thought what he did was okay. So I really gravitated to him. Um, and I said, well, she wants me to be the maid of honor and he wants me to lose my virginity to her, to him. So that's fantastic. So I guess then I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to fall in love with this man. And, um, I always say my, my thinking was not right, but again, I was 14. And, um, so I remember this day and there was a lot of shame that came with it. And I remember writing to him before the wedding and I was like, well, I guess this is how it's supposed to be. So I'm super in love with you. Well, what do we do from here? And of course there was no response. <laughs> um, and again, I felt sad and I was just like, I can't do anything right. And um, I remember I had this, it was like a purple dress. Um, it was a lavender dress um, that my sister chose for the wedding. And I stood there and I stand there and made a toast to say how happy I was that they were getting married and how much that I was thrilled that he was going to be a part of my family. And deep down inside, I was just like, why are you doing this? Why? And again, no one asked me if I was okay. And I thought that if I did the toast and we danced, then we, you know, that I would get my family back. Um, and for that night I did, you know, I was able to dance with my grandmother and laugh with my sister and even look at him and put my, I would say, put my shit to the side. But again, after that night, um, he left with my sister, they moved. Um, and I thought I was free, but then I felt trapped inside. Uh, I felt so trapped. Cause I was like, what do I do? I just told this man that I, I think that I'm in love with him, that his behavior was okay. He took my sister to a different state. And now it's just me, my grandmother and the rabbit and me just lost in my thoughts. Mm. So I want to say about a couple months later, um, he resumed and he came back and I was at the bus station and I was in summer school. And I remember this day again, clear, because I think when it comes to trauma, even if you've talked about it, it's still fresh and prevalent in your mind. And I remember him pulling up in a little white car and I didn't know who he was because I thought he was in a different state and I was waiting for my bus and he rolls down his windows and he said, um, get in the car. And again, I felt like I died that day again. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And he was like, you're going to get in the car or I'm going to fucking drag you in this car. And I went because I didn't want to show. I was outside. There was there was no need for a show. And um, he asked me, he said, like, where's your sister? And I'm like, I don't know. I 
thought you guys were married and he was like where is she you know where she's at and generally generally I didn't know where she was at I didn't even know that they wasn't they were separated I didn't really know um so he said I'm gonna pick you up after school and I remember going to school and being in my math class and I was just like how the hell do I get out of this mess like what do I do to get out of this how because it, it was like maybe six to eight months and I thought like okay out of sight out of mind and I left early because I didn't want to deal with it and um I had a friend I would say she was a good friend back then and she was like my my little rebel she always got me out of my little shell um so she I remember she said let's go to the park and I said okay and when we was coming back guess who was driving um it was him and a friend and he said get in the car and I was like maybe not even a block away from my house and at this time my grandmother we found out that my grandmother was actually sick with colon cancer and I said to myself I'm not gonna put her through this shit um and I refuse so I'm young I'm able to handle all this and I went in the car we went to his house and he said I'm gonna ask you again where's your sister and I told him, I said, I generally don't freaking know. Like, I don't even know why you're here. Like, I don't even, what is going on? So his house was his mom's house. Um, so his friend said, hey, I'm going to go grab something in the store. My friend said, I'm going to just watch some TV. And I try to give her that look, like, please help me. Like, this is not going to end well. Um, we were kids. She didn't know. She was just watching TV. And I remember him telling her, put the TV loud. And she said, okay and he said you need to come to the room with me and I went and he shoved me down the bed and I said to myself ah, if it's just gonna happen let it just happen because I'm just so tired um, and then I kind of looked over and it was it was dark and I was like what is he doing um and he was messing with a drawer and he pulled out a gun and I said, and this is where it ends for me. Um, and he said, I'm going to ask you again. And he had the gun to my face and said, where's your sister? And I just closed my eyes and I told him, just do it. I said, just do it. Like, I, I don't know how we could even come back from this. Just freaking do it. Uh, I really don't know. I don't know what you want from me, but just do it. And um I don't know, again, like a part of me was like, this is not the end for you. And you will freaking fight because that's what we do. We know how to survive. And if it wasn't for me to fight that day for myself, um, he shot the gun, it went to the wall and his friend just literally just stopped and was like, what the heck is going on? And all he just said to me was run, run. And I remember grabbing my friend and running for my life and um I had to go back home and my grandmother was really sick and she's like what's wrong with you and I was just like nothing I said we just need to hide and I'm hiding under a table because I lived on the first floor and all I see was just shadows of people walking and I was like he's going to kill me he's going to kill me because he can't find her and I think a part of me was okay with that because I didn't know what else the heck to do with myself and I didn't know, I didn't know my purpose and I didn't know my worth. And um, 
I remember that she called that day and I spoke to her and I said, Hey, this, he's looking for you. And, um, she was like, and I told her and I said, he just shot a gun. And if I didn't fight, that would have been me. And, um, unfortunately she told me, she said, well, it is what it is. Like you probably look for it. Um, and it's all hard. And I remember hanging up and still under this, we had a brown table and I was under this table, just fearing for my life and just crying and holding the phone and asking God, like, why does she hate me so much? Um, what have I done to her that she's not able to be here with me? And she understands that my grandmother's sick. And I had to literally take care of my grandmother while she was sick. It was just me and her for a very long time. Yes, I had outside help, but at the same time, I witnessed that. I went through that. Um, so I was struggling. And they, I just kept getting private calls and private calls and private calls until he called. And he said, well, are you coming out? And I said, look, I'm tired. I'm so freaking tired that I, I don't want to do this with you no more. My grandmother is dying. And I don't, why would you want this to be the last picture of her remembering that you just killed her granddaughter? And he said absolutely nothing. And I think he waited there for a while and I did not leave. I remember it was like maybe 12 o'clock and it was nighttime and I was still under this stupid table. Um, and I was so scared and I didn't know what else to do. And I don't know. And I just, for years after that, then I didn't see the man no more um, until I went to college. And when you think about not really addressing it or someone saying like, hey, well, I'm not even gonna advise you therapy or for the household to speak about it. I thought I was okay until I was about 20, well, maybe 20 years old. And I was with one of my friends and I walked in McDonald's and I became that fearful 14 year old again. And thankfully my friend knew and she said, what happened, what's going on? And I was like, that's him. I said, I feel like a freaking 14 year old right now. Um, and she said, this will be the last time that you fear this man. And he went and he was coming right up to me like nothing has ever happened. And um, she stood in front of me and she said, you better leave her alone and walk away. And he looked at her like, I'm just trying to say hello. And she said, we don't need that. You need to go. Um, and I just froze. And I remember I couldn't eat that day. And I said, what is going on with me? I'm 20. Like, I should be over this, you know? And she said, how are you going to be over something that you never even addressed? <laughs> and I explained to her, like, because in our household, like, that's it. If it happened, it happened. You shouldn't feel paralyzed 10, 15 years later. Um, and I was, and, and I was scared again. And I, I, I felt like I was that child again. So I remember that maybe a week later, I told myself that I would not fear no man and I would fear nobody at all. And I, my sister was going through a situation and I said, you know what, I'm gonna be there um, for my sister. Even granted all the BS that we've been through. Again, that's my sister, she's my blood. Um, and I'm always gonna be there no matter what. And sometimes I forget that I have to sit and pause and think of myself. Um, so I wrote him on 
I think it was like MySpace or Facebook. And I told him, I said, I forgive you. Um, I don't expect a response. You probably don't even remember what you did. I'm sure you do. Um, but at that time he was really heavy into like cocaine use. I didn't know what the heck that was. So to me, I was just like, the man is, he didn't look like he was under the influence, but again, I don't know what under the influence looked like at 14. Um, so I, I wrote to him and I said, I would, I refuse to continue to give you this power over me. I said, it literally took me 10 years to say that I'm not okay with what you did. Cause I'm not but I have to let it go in order to live because I, I pick bad men. Um, I pick men who will kick my ass and I pick women who kick my ass too. Um, but then I learned how to kick ass too. So um, that wasn't healthy, yeah. you know? And all my relationships after that, that incident and my first relationship, my boyfriend at that time literally threw me to the ground, busted my mouth, um, took a knife to me, kicked me in my back and popped my shoulder and tried to throw me over a balcony. And I told him, just fucking do it. <laughs> just do it because there was not, nothing else that anyone could uh, take away from me. And I always remember my grandmother always saying, like, we, we, we are fighters, you know, but it's the way we fight. And we'd always got to put our hands on people. Um, and I wasn't raised like that. But after that incident, I became, I want to say one of like the best fighters. Because <laughs> um, I didn't want to take nobody's bullshit. And I didn't want to tell people like, hey, you hurt my feelings. Um, no, I, I didn't want to be that person. I was so angry and, and full of resentment that I was just like, let's fight. Let's do this. You know, um, who are people? To me, I felt like, who are you to take that away from me? And now I'm a, a out of control teenager. And I literally had to raise myself after 15. Um, once my grandmother got sick and was doing the chemotherapy and stuff. And I started experimenting with the streets and I had a taste of the streets and I, I fell in love with it. Um, because one, I didn't know about it. And two, everybody was so family oriented in their own sick little way <laughs> but to me I I felt like this is where I belong and I I I said to myself I would never allow anybody to to take my innocence um to abuse me or to hurt me and for many years I ended up hurting people because I didn't take no relationship serious um I was just like well we had sex and that's it. And you go about your business, I go about mine. And that was so hurtful, you know, but again, I didn't know any better. And no one told me that that was okay, or it wasn't okay. And the relationship with me and my mom was so, it was so toxic. Um, that again, I didn't know what healthy was. So again, I gravitated to, to women who used to drink and, and do drugs and men who used to drink and do drugs so when you mix that um you don't really have the best temper so I thought that that was okay because that's what I seen so I'm like that's fine that's acceptable and it, it wasn't acceptable until I was able to find my voice and um I had a an ex-girlfriend that she used to drink really really bad um 
And when she drank, she used to say hurtful stuff. And I was like, here we go again. Here we go again with this shit. Um, and she used to tell me, you ain't nothing. You're never going to be nothing. And I believed that for so long until I met my neighbor. And he said, and he just looked at me like he was not really ashamed, but he felt bad for me. And he felt sad. And I was just like, what is wrong with this man? I don't even know who he is. And he said, why don't you write? And I said, right, honey, I'm trying to make it here <laughs> and in New York, you know, like I work three jobs and I'm going to, and I, I put myself through college and um, he said, you should write because no one should ever tell your story. Yeah. And I was like, I, I, I just remember looking at him and I was like, what are you talking about? Um, and he said, your ex-girlfriend talks so bad about you, but I don't see that when I see you walking the dog and I was just like I don't even know this man I think I probably smoked some weed with him that was it <laughs> but other than that I really didn't know who he was from a can of paint you know I can't tell you that I can really that I had a conversation with this man and from that day I started writing and it took me so long too to even tell my story it took me 10 years before I was able to just recently publish and even with that came a lot of guilt and shame because still my family, some struggle with acceptance, you know? And again, my, my sister, I always say she's like my best friend, but she's the one that has hurt me the most. And I don't think to this day, she still believes me, you know? And I had to learn how to, to separate that and say, you know what? I think she's going through her own shit that I don't even know you know, cause she's so private. So she doesn't allow people in and I get it. She was in an abusive relationship, you know, um, that's all she knows. So for her, she found her outlet for herself. For me, I found my outlets in my friends and building close relationship with people. So I was able to talk about it and to realize that I wasn't even alone. And I would say it could have been so much worse, but that doesn't take away the fact that I still hurt and that I allow myself to to be in these situations because of my past and um I'm so thankful that I I know different and I know better but that took a lot of work and a lot to come out and say hey I like women and I have a past and it is what it is and we're gonna fall in line you know and for some people had difficulty with that, you know, oh, well, you're going through a phase and, you know, and I was just like, well, maybe so, but it's my life. So I decided to recently publish. And I think for my higher power was like, this is your time. And I was just like, oh, okay, let's do it. You know, um, but I was mindful and I spoke to my mother and I, I let her know like, hey, I'm, I'm going to publish this book and she said you know what this is your story I don't know your story because I didn't really raise you um but who am I to judge and um I said well I have to tell my sister and she said well that's gonna be difficult <laughs> and I explained to her I said you know I if you read it and you have questions ask me but don't put me down and 
I know this is your story, but this is my story as well. Um, so I get it that you're private and I love you. And that, that does not take away the fact that I, that I love you. But at the same time, like I want to help other people. I, I want to help others to, to find their voice and not to really be okay with what happened, but to be able to say, damn, today I live different and I'm doing this, this, and that. And that's just my goal is just to spread awareness. I know with, with writing a book and going on podcasts that we're going to have our good people, our good supporters that say, shoot to this lady, you know, and I might have some that say, oh my God, is she, is she talking facts? Is that even real? Maybe she didn't make it up, you know, but I know with that, I would not retrace and, and backpedal to think I was 14. I would be able to say today, like, People are entitled to their opinion. And that's exactly what it is, is people's freaking opinion. That doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it wrong. And it doesn't make it indifferent. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a story. And we can heal. That's an amazing way to put it. Everybody has their opinion. I mean, it's it's okay to have your opinion. It's not going to change anything from my side. Right. And that's what I, I, I had to teach myself. That is just people's opinion. And there are cruel people in this world, but that's who they are. You know, my mom always taught me, you can't fix people, you can't change people, and you can't control anyone. You are responsible for you. And I live by those models. And um, as a therapist, that's what I try to teach my clients is to find hope, you know, and, and to find peace because it doesn't matter to me as much money as, if I was to have or not have, if I don't have peace, I don't have nothing. I always say if my mental, my emotional, and my spiritual are imbalanced, then I am imbalanced. Yep, 100%. So I always say, check your motives, Priscilla. Is your motives pure? And when when I wrote this book, my motive was pure, you know? And I never thought I would sit here and do several podcasts, but I'm so grateful for that because it teaches me and it shows me that there's so much more that you have to you can give and share and process with other people so not only are you a writer and not only are you a therapist but you an advocator for the voices that have not yet been able to say shit I don't feel free and I feel chained and say oh my god this lady lives in Colorado and has been pretty much everywhere and has been able to travel and put herself through college and get a master's degree. And that doesn't mean that I don't fight with my own battles. That just means that I know how to handle my battles differently. And I don't have to accept, I don't accept people that disrespect me. And just because you have your opinion doesn't make it valid. And I'm open to people's opinion doesn't mean that I I'm a people pleaser. Today, I'm grateful that I live different. I just want people to to be okay with self. I want want whoever listens to this and reads this to be able to say, gosh, I can live different today. Okay, thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.